Welcome to 100 Centuries, Episode 7. I'm Connie B. Dowell, and Stephen B. Dowell is absent today. So we're going to have a little bit of a one-sided conversation and also a shorter podcast because I don't have him here to ask questions and bounce things off of. But we are going to make it up to you guys, hopefully. No promises, but we hope to have another short podcast coming out next week. So it will be three weeks of podcasts in a row instead of skipping over a week like we normally do. But today we're going to piggyback a little bit on the episode we did a few weeks ago, the one about women's club movement. And in that episode, I mentioned African-American women's clubs, but didn't go into great detail. And they were largely segregated from predominantly white women's clubs. So today we're going to explore those clubs and African-American women's activism in general in the progressive era. And by progressive era, I mean approximately 1890 to 1920-ish or through the 1920s. Now, some background on what African-American women were dealing with at this time. This was about the time of the Northern Migration, where a lot of African-American families moved from the South to the North or moved from just generally from agricultural life and agricultural jobs to city life. And this was a profound change, a profound change in their family life and in their lifestyle. And these women found that they no longer had the same influence over their children that they once did. They were once much more tightly knit. And this factored greatly into the kinds of activism that they got into and the development of the club movement. So some other things that were happening at the time. There was little educational opportunity for Black people in general, but especially for women. They, um, there was also very little in terms of job choice. You really had to take jobs that, that white women wouldn't take. So they were barred from, of course, jobs that only a man would take. It would be very difficult for a woman of any race. And then an African-American woman had it that much harder. They were also dealing with a lot of sexual harassment and stereotyping. There was this particularly horrible stereotype of of Black women as somehow sexually promiscuous, lacking in virtue. And that's something that they later, that will come up again that um, these women seek to address. They were also dealing with an atmosphere of increasing violence. Lynchings were on the rise at this time. And this became a huge issue for them. But one positive thing was also on the rise. There was a bigger demand for domestic service than there was a supply. And domestic service was one area in which African-American women were being more and more employed in. At the same time, white women were getting in, were, were dropping out of domestic service more and more. And so because there was a bigger demand than there was a supply, this gave them a little bit of a, a bargaining chip. So if you had an employer who was just awful to deal with. The word got out and these women would basically blacklist them. So in this atmosphere, there were African-American women who were educated and who had some privileged background. And they saw it as their duty to give back. And they saw activism as a duty to their race and to their sex. And club work really kind of came naturally to that. Indeed, 
educated women, African-American women were often really, it was really beaten into them that this was their duty. Um, and there's an interesting quote from Janie Porter Barrett talking about her life as a student and how, you know, like any college student, she, she wanted to go out, she wanted to have fun, and she was feeling a lot of pressure. She said, why on Sundays? I used to say to myself, today, I don't have to do a single thing for my race. So she really felt that pressure. And real, like any kid just wanted to have a good time once in a while. So this activism led to, among other things, um, development of women's clubs. And the National Association of Colored Women um, was the, the, the overarching club organization that these clubs were a member of. Um, you may also see it written as the National Association of Colored Women's Clubs. Clubs was added later, and that is the current modern name. Modern name includes clubs. And their motto was lifting as we climb. Now, where did this movement get started? Well, there was a movement already in place at the time. As you remember, there was a broader women's club movement which grew out of a broader literary club movement that men had participated in for a long time. But a familiar name to you really helped spur on this movement, um, as well as some perhaps unfamiliar names. And you're going to learn a little bit about um, each of these women. So Ida B. Wells Barnett, um, usually called Ida B. Wells by her just her maiden name. That's usually how she's known. And that's how I'll continue to refer to her throughout this episode. A big proponent of the women's club movement. Now, if Stephen were here, he would probably have a little reaction because Barnett is also my maiden name. Though there's no connection that I, I know about um, between these families. But that's kind of cool. Now, Ida B. Wells is um, a pretty well-known woman. So you may have a little bit of background on her, but here's to kind of set the scene who she was when she was doing all this stuff with the club movement. So she had lost a job as a teacher for criticizing the black schools. And later she became an editor and part owner of a newspaper. And at the time there was a local lynching that was particularly nasty. Not that any of them were not nasty, but this one really struck home for her. She knew some of the people involved. And she called them out in the newspaper. She called out the local lynching as, as businessmen getting rid of competition instead of what usually people would say as an excuse for a lynching, that they were protecting white women. And she said, that's not true at all. These people were just afraid of a little business competition. And it was particularly controversial at the time because for one thing, she was challenging that myth of that, that myth that white women needed to be protected from black men. And she was also challenging the notion that, that white people were superior businessmen. Well, it didn't go over very well. A mob destroyed her office and threatened her life if she returned to the newspaper. But Ida B. Wells was an outspoken and kind of fiery lady, and she kept on going. And you can learn quite a bit about her life. She can... She continued to speak out, and as she was speaking around the country, she helped found women's clubs based on an English model. Now, to get back to the main organization at hand, 
uh, the National Association for Colored Women, which um, forward I'm going to try and refer to it as the NACW, formed in 1896 in Washington, D.C. And this was a merger of two different groups. One of them was the National Federation of Afro-American Women, which was based out of Boston. And the other was the National League of Colored Women, based in D.C. And there were two main leaders, really, at the beginning of this organization. One is Josephine St. Pierre Ruffin, and the other is Mary Church Terrell, who was the first president. So a little bit about Josephine. She was the founder of Women's Era, the first newspaper written by and for African-American women. She was also a member of both white and black women's clubs. And this caused a little bit of controversy at the General Federation of Women's Clubs meeting in 1900, where she was allowed to represent white clubs, but she was not allowed to be there as a representative of a black club. Um, later on, Josephine was also became a charter member of the NAACP. Now, for a little bit about Mary Church Terrell, she uh, came from a very privileged background. Her father was um, was the wealthiest black man in Memphis. She was one of the first African-American women to graduate college. And she also got a master's degree. She was also the, the first black woman elected to the D.C. Board of Education. And she, like Ida B. Wells, um, worked for a while as a journalist. And she was really very, a really smart lady, um, very well educated, not just for her time and her circumstances, but... For, for anybody, even today, she spoke multiple languages. She was a well-received speaker abroad. She was highly traveled. And so let's move on to the causes that the NACW really championed and clubs in general championed. Um, they celebrated their culture and they wanted to introduce others to it and introduce an idea of respect. And... You can see this reflected in some of the names of the clubs. For instance, the Harriet Tubman Literary Club. Other issues that were really important to them include job training, wage equity, child care. Preventing lynchings was a huge issue for them. And education. And we're going to get a little bit more detail into education a little later on. They also really fought the negative stereotypes that people had heaped on them. They, they encouraged women to get employable skills and they taught women to domestic skills to help them avoid falling into the trap of prostitution, which unfortunately many of these women without education did because there were so few jobs available to them. So I'm going to leave this section with a quote from Josephine St. Pierre. Too long have we been silent under unjust and unholy charges. We cannot expect to have them removed until we disprove them through ourselves. And that was really a big driving motto behind everything they did. They were out not only to help each other, but to prove their worth and their virtue, to demonstrate to the world, we are equal. So let's talk a little bit about one specific club. And this is the Neighborhood Union of Atlanta, founded and headed by Lugenia Burns Hope. 
and it served as a model for many other clubs. It was highly structured. It divided Atlanta into zones, and each of those zones was divided into districts. So you would have someone responsible for each corner of the city. This ensured that each corner was represented and heard and attended to. So it was this huge commitment, this highly organized structure, but it worked. It made sure that nobody was left out. And during their work, the NU investigated all the black schools in Atlanta and started improving the facilities, lobbying for special ed classes, and to end the segregation of teachers. And what I mean by that is that at the time, white teachers could only teach white students and black teachers could only teach black students. And this was a problem because there wasn't enough black teachers to teach all the students. Now, we've talked a lot about really good things that um, these clubs and and these women's organizations have done, um, but they were not without their critics. Um, a number of people called these clubs elitist, and there is a little bit of an element of, you know, if not derision for those who are lower on the social totem pole, a sense that they were somehow better. There was this idea of in helping out one's inferiors, um, this very privileged duty. And that can, in honesty, be said of predominantly white women's clubs as well. So it was, you know, this, this was across the board. So there was this sort of idea of we are dating to help you. Um, even though they did a lot of good, maybe the attitude wasn't always the best all the time. Now, let's talk a little bit about um, black women and the suffrage movement. Now, women's clubs came out in support of suffrage two years before the General Federation of Women's Clubs. But there was not much interracial co- cooperation on the suffrage front. When the NACW applied for membership to the National Women's Suffrage Association, um, the, the association asked them to, to wait and to defer their application until the Senate had voted on an amendment. There's also a fun little story about Ida B. Wells and the, um, the Women's Party Parade of 1913. She was asked not to march with the white delegates. Um, now, the parade was organized by, by the, the different organizations, different clubs that were a member, not necessarily women's clubs, but I'm just using the shorthand. So the organization she was a member of was predominantly white. But the parade organizers wanted her to hang back and to march with the organizations that were predominantly black. So they wanted to segregate the parade. It wasn't a matter of her not participating at all, but that they wanted they didn't want her to be in a group with um, the other people in her organization. Well, she had another idea. She waited quietly by the sidelines on the day of the parade. And when her group, that is the predominantly white group that she was actually a member of, walked by, she just hopped right out in the street and joined them. Um, And there's a fun pop culture connection here, um, especially for those who are a fan of the webcomic Hark of Agrants by Kate Beaton. And I'm going to link to this in the show notes. And you can see a fun comic about Ida B. Wells' life and specifically 
about this um, parade incident, and I believe also about the lynching incident that I mentioned earlier, if I'm remembering the comment correctly. So there were women's groups who were really working in support of their race and of their sex, but they didn't always get along with with male African-American activists. A lot of the the impetus behind forming women's groups was that they felt sort of left out of the conversation by men. Indeed, Mary Church Terrell and Ida B. Wells openly criticized Booker T. Washington for his attitudes and stance on women. Wells criticized Washington for really kind of making sexist jokes and perpetuating the same kinds of both racially and sexually charged stereotypes that they were trying to get away from. And Mary Church Terrell, while she praised his commitment to industrial education for women, she felt like there was maybe too much emphasis on that instead of on academia. After all, she herself was a scholar. And she felt like those opportunities needed to be just as available to women as to men. Now, we've talked a lot about separations here. Um, And conflict between activists on different sides. Activists who were African-American males. Activists who were white women. Activists who were African-American women. But there was a certain amount of interracial cooperation. Especially from organizations like the YWCA, though they, they may have not been terribly effective in what they actually did. They, they did eventually sort of reach out an opening hand. There were also cooperation from the Association of Southern Women for the Prevention of Lynching and the Women's Committee of the Commission on Interracial Cooperation. Now, that's what these organizations and did. And club movements, in, the club movement in particular, reached its high point in the 20s and 30s, and after that started to fall, just like the predominantly white women's clubs. Yet, their influence is not what it once was, but they're still active today. So you can still go to the NACWC's website, which will be linked to in the show notes, and read about what they're up to today, and read about their history a little bit more, and get a sense of what um, these clubs are doing near you. So that is all we have for today. And while it's a little bit short, it's not quite as short as I was fearing it would be. So we will be back maybe next week, but definitely the week after that with something new. And be sure to check out the show notes at 100centuries.com. And that's spelled out and not the numbers. Um, Or you can also sign up for our newsletter and read back episodes and see some of the pictures we've been putting up throughout April in celebration of um, this large month-wide blog fest called April A to Z, where people post a blog post with a theme for for each letter for um, throughout the month of April. So there's the way it works out is Mondays through Saturdays. You you make a post. Sunday's a day off and April actually works out quite nicely um, so that there's 26 on days. And we, um, instead of having an entire post, because this is quite a bit um, on top of podcasting, 
we've been posting um, historical photographs um, for each letter each day. So you can go and check those out. So till next time, this is 100 Centuries signing off.